Welcome to Light on Suitability with Elizabeth Camo and my co-host, Daryl and Sean. We're here today with a very special guest, David Sloan, and I'm going to let David do his introduction so I don't screw it up. <laughs> okay. I'm, uh, I'm David Sloan. I'm a former lifetime prisoner. And one, I'm a co-founder of Life Support Alliance. Life Support Alliance is the only lifer-specific advocacy group, prisoner advocacy, advocacy group in California. So we produce newsletters. Uh, we have a free newsletter that goes out monthly. We've got a quarterly newsletter that goes out by subscription. Uh, and we do a ton of other stuff. We visit uh, prisons. We do presentations inside. Uh, I was, uh, I committed murder and. Uh, August of 1989, uh, I was operating on what I thought was my, my best option, and um, I've learned quite a bit since then. I knew it was, a, once it happened, I knew it was the biggest mistake in my life. I did 23 and a half years on a 27-year-to-life term, and I was paroled through natural process uh, through the Board of Parole Hearings. Um, I went to three parole hearings. My first two parole hearings, I was denied because I lacked insight uh, and I didn't understand the causative factors of my crime. And so we've, I've done a lot of work in that area and the things that we've found out about that, um, I try to take back into the guy's insight. I've been out uh, nine years. I paroled uh, February 4th of 2013. And uh, so today we're going to talk about the challenges, I believe, of uh, parole and um, I, and I'm ready to get right into it if you'd like to. Absolutely, and I did want to just mention as well. You were you and Vanessa were instrumental in cre creating an insight program called Connecting the Dots, and I think that you number one still bring that into the prisons when you can, but also have a correspondence class for connecting the dots. I think I also saw something new: denial management. And then you have that amends project as well. So all those three are related to insight, causative factors. We, we say self-awareness now is what they started calling it, but they always want to change it. I did that. So uh, uh, my psychiatrist had connecting the dots. I did that. That one is phenomenal. I love that connecting the dots, man. I'm telling you, that one right there, it, it, it I already knew my stuff, but it like really opened it up. And then it was really easier to uh, to facilitate it to other people. That one right there, I tilt my hat to you, man. That was a good one. The, the one lifer story in that, that's that's my Yeah, story. yeah. So, and and I got to tell you, you know, that the difference between my second parole hearing when I was denied and my third parole hearing when I was found suitable all of that's put into connecting the dots and that yeah. was I'm I'm basically responsible for that one and that's uh that's that's my baby so thank you for the kudos on that um we've gotten a lot of really great feedback you know and and I remember I remember a time when you know that uh, we on the inside it was almost impossible to get out and we on the inside we thought well you know what if I can just make it over that hurdle to get out of prison once after that, everything's going to be great and it'll all be downhill from there. No, but the reality is it's, it's not the truth. That's not the truth. You know, um, we tell people that there's two aspects to being found suitable. One 
is your self-awareness. You know, your ability to understand your your motivations at the time of your crime and the things, the foundation of those motivations, you know, causative factors isn't, hey, he made me mad and so I beat him up. That's that's not causative factors. Causative factors are, you know, the, these are the things that I learned how to believe when I was just a child and now wow. I'm operating on those beliefs. And so I believe that my responsibility is I need to pop this guy in the head because of what X and X, whatever. But uh, the reality is that the second part is that once we understand ourselves, that's not enough. We also then have to know how to purvey that to the Board of Parole hearings. We need to, we need to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to, to put it out there and say, listen, I know, I know my causative factors and I can outline them like this. Here, here it is. This happened to me. It caused me to believe this, you know, and this belief caused me to behave like this and this this behavior, this is how my, that behavior connects to the crime I committed against society and against this human being. Most definitely. It's really excellent. I, I do want to jump into real world reentry challenges. And, but how about uh, Daryl and Sean, go ahead and introduce yourself to David so he just understands a little bit about where you are in the process. Okay. Uh, I'm Sean Conley. Um, I did 28 years for first degree murder and carjacking. Uh, I got a 44 uh, sentence. I got 29 years to life for the murder and 44 years for the carjacking. Um, I'm a gang member. I was a gang member. Um, I went to prison, uh, participating in gang activity, drug activity, everything that you can think of, which you already know. Uh, how it is in there. I um, I eventually started, I met a guy named Joaquin Jordan, who eventually started um, changing my life and a lady named Dr. Barbara, who came into my life and started seeing things in me. And I started uh, going to groups called uh, VAOP, Victim Awareness Offenders Program, that she created, Dr. Barbara. And I just started engaging in it and not allowing the peer pressure of the, the prison world to stop me from getting in there. They piqued my interest. And so as I engage more and more into the group and into learning um, what Joaquin was teaching us, I, uh, I wanted something different. I wanted something different in life. And so I started going in a different direction. <clears throat> I ended up getting kicked out of one prison, went to another prison. I met Durrell um, after I've been to a few other prisons. Um, met a guy named Michael. We uh, we all connected and started talking and started creating groups. When me and Durrell got to uh, Sadef Corcoran, um, there was like maybe two groups on the yard. Um, <clears throat> it was AA and NA. And so... Me and Daryl connected together, started, uh, and, and, and a guy by the name of Michael Baldwin connected together and started creating the groups <clears throat> on that yard, which was taboo. Uh, a lot of officers didn't want groups on that yard, so we created groups, started coming together, changing my life, and uh, I'm home. But as I'm home, I realized that like you said, 
that we just think that, okay, all I got to do is just find out who I am, uh, change my, uh, my thinking, and then get out and everything just peaches and cream. But it wasn't like that, not for me and Daryl. Uh, I'm going through a lot of things, but I have a strong support team. I have uh, a strong relapse prevention plan that I look to. And uh, I look to that every day. I go to it, I read it. And that's some of the things that me and Daryl talks about on this show is about how to deal with the life and the, and, the, and the different things that come upon us while we're out on the streets. Because it's not all peaches and cream as we think. And so that's me. That's me. I don't want to go into a long story. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Thank you. <laughs> but that's uh, me. Good word. Congratulations, first of all, to you, David. Um, I appreciate your honesty and the work that you're doing. Please continue to do so. Um, I'm Daryl. Um, a lot of our listeners, and our and, um, and I, there are people listening to us more and more, um, they really don't know our story, our situation. Uh, like Sean just sharing, I was arrested in 1988. I was 17 years old for second degree murder. Um, and I was a gang member. And what people don't know, the gang culture, whoever gets arrested first, that's who takes the case. You know, you're supposed to free the guys, you know. So I was that person and I told him I did it. Did not know, <laughs> did not know the consequences or the repercussions of saying I did it. However, um, you go through the, the, the stages of trial and I got sentenced to 15 years to life. For most people get sentenced to 15 years of life, within 10 years they go to the board, they're out maybe 15, 17. Um, I ended up doing 33 years. I came in prison young, as I said, I was a gang member. I didn't want nobody to tell me what to do and how to do it. So I asked the guys, how do I get to the top? And I did everything I could to get to the top. You know what that means. And get to the top, you realize that you're lonely. It's a terrible place to be. Because now everyone uh, you know, doesn't want you to be where you're at. So that didn't last long. However, um, I went to the board a total of eight times. And like I mentioned last week, for the first five times, I didn't have a clue. When they told me what is insight, when they asked me causal factors and character defects, warning signs, triggers, what is that? I thought that was a new language. So uh, I had to go and, and learn. And I had to go talk to people who I seen were very positive and trying to get out of prison. And it meant separating myself from my old alliances and allegiances to give to people who were aligned and had allegiance to freedom and success, um, which led me to side after I met, I met Sean and we clicked immediately. I mean, we clicked immediately and I seen a lot of good in him. He's a very, he watches people. <laughs> he, he, he really pays attention. So I guess he's seen something in me that I didn't even see myself. You know, but we 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 came together uh, again. Like you may mention, we met a guy named Mike. Mike also was very very proactive, very pro social, um, doing everything he can do to make the, the, the prison a better place. And we all came together. We formulated an alliance. And as he may mention, there were only two groups: A and N A. Um, drugs has never been my thing. Alcohol has never been my thing. My thing was gangs, selling drugs, fast money, things that go with that. So I needed more. 
Um, and I wanted to articulate to the board who I was at the time of the commission of my crime. I also wanted to articulate to the board who I had become over the years. And I wanted to know from them precisely who do I need to be to get out of prison? So I went to the board and I asked them, what do I need to do? <laughs> who do I need to be and, and, lay it, and lay it out? And I had a, a, a commissioner named Patricia Cassidy um, and she laid it out for me. After telling me, I don't wanna get out. After telling me that there's no way that I'm gonna be able to get myself to the point where I could be free with, before 10 years. And I challenged her. That was in 2017. Um, I went to the board three times. And in 2021, I was released. Um, with, I think one of the toughest commissioners in California right now, because he was a he was a he was a, a warden at Tashby Prison. He was worked there for 20 years. So it was it was difficult, but we overcame, we adjusted, we identified our character defects, we developed coping skills, we know our warning signs, our triggers, and we thrive heavily on relapse prevention. And I want to say this, David, wonderful because people have been listening to us. And now here a man comes in, introduce himself. You're saying the exact same thing we've been saying. So there is definitely a need for people to know who they are for self-awareness. Yes. Definitely a need for relapse prevention and definitely a need to know that it's not an easy road to get found suitable. And once you're found suitable, there's still a role. Yes. There's still a role. And I think that's, that's, when, that's, when the, that's when the struggle begins, really. Really? That's when, that's when the struggle begins. And I'm saying I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna get out the way um, because I know everyone has a lot to share. Um, I was supposed to parole to Modesto, work for Legacy Alliance, also work with the law firm of Tracy Lung. And I mean, we had everything laid out for me, like Sean also. Uh, when it came time for me to be paroled, not viable where I was supposed to go. All of a sudden, you know, it's not, it's not gonna happen. So they sent me to Los Angeles and I got released three weeks prior to the date that was set. So all my paperwork was not concluded. So I came out, uh, I had to get a birth certificate. That was 30 days. I had to get a social security guard. That was another 30 days. I'm walking around with a state ID for 60 days. <laughs> then, then go to go to the, the DMV to get an ID, okay? And you know, that's a waiting period because there's COVID, so you get everything by appointment. Um, then you have to take a, a written test. I failed three times. Then you have to get a driver's test after you pass. I mean, it's been just hurdles after hurdles, uh, but the determination has to be set within you and I'm motivated to succeed. Um, and then you gotta be employed. Remember, you can't be employed, you don't have an ID. So what do you do when you get out and CDC is not funding and I'm in a transition house where you have to pay, you have to pay from the pocket. How am I gonna do this? So uh, fortunately I do have a good support system, family and friends who care, but I just wanna start this off because I know both of you are gonna uh, say the same things in different ways that I want people, our listeners to know that the struggle is real. We're, we're feeling it. They didn't just let us out of prison and everything's good because they see us and they think everything's good. We're certain time. We might drive nice cars and doing things, but we're out here working hard to, to give back to society, to help change the, the madness and the destruction that we created. So we want to be a part of society equally. And I want people to understand that. And we're willing to do whatever it takes. Most definitely. That's so, enough David, I think that it's pretty clear, should be clear as to why these two are my co-hosts, but why don't you <laughs> jump in and um, start talking about re-entry services? I think also there's a lot of topics there, like they're saying, the struggle from, from the gate 
is there and it's not just all roses and all of it. One of the things I think that we don't think about on the way out of that gate, and I know you guys can relate to this. I remember leaving the prison and getting to the parking lot and, and my wife was there to pick me up and I, she wanted to kiss and I'm like, okay, hurry up and get in the car. Let's get out of here before they change their mind. You know, you guys know that feeling. Think, okay, okay, I've made it now. It's, it's time to go. Everything's beautiful. But I got to tell you that we've got stories that we can tell. One of them is there's been a couple of guys that have paroled that we know about that whose family threw them a big old party on the day they got out or the day after they got out. They went home to this party and had a heart attack, both of them, because it was just too much. Because just walking out of that gate is so emotionally overwhelming. I tell people this all the time, you know, guys that got determined sentences for the last two weeks before they get out, they can't sleep because they know they're getting out. But guys with life-term prison sentences, we, we it doesn't even phase us because you know what? It doesn't even become real that we're getting out until we've been out for a couple of weeks. It's like, okay, exactly. I'm out of here. What's, what, what's really going on? I remember a few days out, just a few days out, I went to a transitional housing that had a five o'clock curfew for the first 10 days. And so I stayed, I, you know, I thought, well, that's kind of, that's a little bit drastic, but I mean, I'm, at least I'm not in prison. <laughs> Second day, I realized that that five o'clock curfew was necessary because I needed to sit down on the edge of my bed and process all of the stuff that had happened that day. And you guys can, I see it in your face. You relate right now, <laughs> but because, because just, just being out is overwhelming. You know, because I, I did 23 and a half. You guys both did more than that. You know, 30, 33, and I forgot how much on Sean. So, but the, the point is that is this the two greatest changes that I've ever gone through? One was going to prison. And the other one was getting out. It was, <laughs> it was monumental. Getting out of prison was, and, you know, going in, I mean, you're going to get that change. You know, there ain't you there ain't no way out of that, but getting out some I understand why some guys check back in. You know, I mean I don't I don't promote that, but there's people that do that. And so um there's a few things that I want to say. One of the things that we promote at Life Support Alliance is that when a lifer paroles from prison that he goes to a transitional housing, not just any transitional housing, but one that has other lifers in it, because you know what? We need lifers. We need other lifers. We don't, I mean, Elizabeth is a great woman. My wife is a great woman. They, they love us. You know, they want to support us. They don't have a clue. They do not have a clue. And, and how do you ask somebody, hey, how do you use the bus? I've, it's been so long since I've been on a bus. The last time I got on, I got on with a pistol and they didn't say nothing. So what, how do I do it the right way? So not only not only after 20 or 30 years are we paroling to a completely different place. You can parole back to the same household you left and it's a different place. But on top of that, we are paroling with a completely different mindset. And, and what I'm saying is we lived our life before prison on a what can I get basis. You know, I'm always looking for what I can get. What can I take? What can I get? What can I con my way out of? And when we get out, we get out of prison on a what can I give basis. And so ev everything that we looked at one way before, we're looking at a completely different way now. And it's brand new. It's brand new. Another big thing 
about getting paroled is that, you know, whether we realize it or not, you guys were talking a little bit about it. On the inside, we've got a support network. You know, you need a soup until a third draw, you know who to go to get it. You know, you, you the, if the cops come and they toss up your locker and your stuff's all over the floor and, you're, uh, and you need to talk, you know who you can go talk to. And they're going to understand. And you parole and you leave your entire support network inside. One person's not going to do it. One person cannot cover that. You can't get out business. and say, okay, you know, uh, a baby mama going to take care of that for me. That ain't happening. It's you impossible. Know, it, no, they, they, you're going to, you'll wear them out. They'll commit suicide. If you put all of what you need on one person, <laughs> they're going to, they're, they're gone. They're going to go away. We need a broad support network because we're heavy. We get out, we're heavy because we're literally, I don't want to use the word retarded, but I mean, we're socially retarded. We have, we Absolutely. have no way, no way of connecting to society because we haven't. We've never before tried to connect to society the way that we do when we get out of prison. So we, we strongly urge that you go to a transitional housing with other lifers who have, you know, one guy's been out two weeks and the stuff you want to learn in the first two weeks, he just learned and he's happy to tell you. And then the other guy's been, another guy's been out two months and the stuff you want to learn from him. And, and, and it's easy to say, Hey, Sean, man, uh, uh, show me how to use the bus ticket. You know, I, I, I ain't never done it. You know, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I just learned that yesterday. Let's go show, I'll show you. And, I, you know, how do we do Kmart, you know, or Walmart or whatever? How do we do that? What's, what, what's up with this debit card? <laughs> oh, yeah. Where, where, Jazz where, card. Yeah, where, yeah, where do I go to get uh, my social security card? How do I do that? How do, what, do, what is, a, what is a, a, a birth certificate? I don't think I've ever seen one, <laughs> you know? So, um, and, and there's a there's hundred little things that the people who have been in society all of their life, they don't even realize. You know, I had a guy, I knew a guy that came home uh, and moved, he had a girl that he got connected back up with that they were boyfriend and girlfriend before prison. And then he got out and he moved into her house and she went to work and he rearranged all of her cupboards. <laughs> oh, it, it, I'm going to make everything better. And she came home and she says, what did you do? He says, oh, it's all better now. She says, nothing's better. This ain't your house. This is my house. Put it back. And, and he was devastated. You know, um, one of the, another big issue that we have as lifers is that while we're in prison and we're hanging around nothing but men um, with all these testosterone, we learn how to be direct. And you guys know what I'm talking about. We are so direct that it is offensive. Yes. It is offensive to people. And we don't yes, even it realize it because somebody walks up to you and starts talking to you. And if you don't know what they're talking about in the first four words, it's like, get to the point. What's up? <laughs> Am I right or wrong? Absolutely. That's what I'm going through right now. <laughs> and One so, of my lady and, friends. And she wants to talk and I'm like, just get to the point. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> and let them have their say. They need that. They Most need definitely. That. Yeah. And, I, it, and there ain't no other way to put it. Shut your mouth. You know, <laughs> no no disrespect, no offense intended. But we ain't in prison anymore. And it's, it's I'm nine years out and I still struggle with that. You know, get to the point. What's up? I'm struggling with it now. I, ain't yeah, I know you are. I know I you are. Lie. 
So um, we don't communicate the same way that we used to. And it, right. I mean, it was it was rough before we went in. But before we went in, we didn't care who we offended. Right. And now by need, we need to care who we offend because we're trying to live life on what we can give, not what we can give. And get to the point is give me. That's what that is. So um, I want to say another thing that we've discovered is that guys that that get in trouble, that have problems on parole, we get out of prison and we're on this pink cloud. And this pink cloud is a bunch of energy to do the right thing, even even when things are twisted. You know, we're going to, uh, Daryl said it, man, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission, you know, and it, it's tough, but I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. And I believe, Daryl, I believe you. But the energy of the pink cloud starts to subside about two years out. I'm just going to say that because it's right around the two year out period that the guys that get in trouble get in the most. That's when the guys that go back, go back. That's when the guys that slip back into drug addiction or, 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 or the homies or whatever they do. That's about the time that they, you know, they get comfortable enough and relaxed enough to, uh. to, to, to slip back because we get this idea on the way out. We get this idea that everything has changed. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you right now that the old man never dies. You've got that old gang member inside of you. He's there. You know, yes. you've got that, that, you got that old desire to, of the feel of a warm pistol in your hand. That desire is going to be there. It's never going to go away. You know, all the, you know, the support of all your homies around you, you know, and, and you're strong because, because we're this, we're strong. That's never going to go away. It, if it didn't, if it wasn't good, you'd have never done it to begin with. Right. So absolutely. there's, there's, you know, it, it's good. It feels good. I agree with that. And so because it never goes away, the, you, your vigilance has to be as equally as strong for the, for the rest of your life. Most lifers that get out, especially the ones that are the most successful, more often than not, get involved in some kind of pro-social behavior. You guys are doing this podcast. That's great. It holds you to a standard. Yeah. Because without it, I mean, no, ain't nobody looking now. You know, maybe let me get you. I see the guys on the corner. Let me go kick it. I know that dude right there. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Oh, it, it's going to be all right. It'll just be, I'm just going to hang out for a minute. Miss that's, inter that's interesting that you say that because as of right now, I don't think me and Daryl is going through that process right now of let me go hang out. Let me do this with the old fellas. Let me put a pistol in my hand. You know, let me let me let me go smoke some weed. Let me sell some drugs. You guys are uh, how old? How long out now? How long out? Three or four. Little 150 days. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You, you just barely got out. Exactly. This is, and like you. Go ahead. Go ahead David. Like you no, said, this is around two around the two year mark. That's when it starts getting stupid. Exactly. We're still in the cloud right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that's great. And I tell you this. Uh, thank you for the fair warning. And I'm going to say What's this happened? because a lot of the individuals that I know out here who've been in this situation, not one of them has told me, hey, stay vigilant because in about 20 something months from now, you know how we are about time. We counted down to the second. <laughs> you know, you're going to get comfortable and you can lapse. No one, no one has given me that. So I appreciate that, David. This is, and this is phenomenal information because 
pushing so hard to be successful can tire you out. And if we get tired, then we're gonna we, we, we're gonna we're gonna get comfortable. You know, you're gonna go to sleep. And, and like you just said, it can creep back up. You know, at at the most at a, at a, at a time where you least expect it. So I'm as you're talking, I'm processing. I'm like, wow, that did happen to so and so. That did happen to so and so. You know, and then I looked at myself. It's a mirror right here. I just looked at me <laughs> while you were talking, David. I said, well, I got to make sure that doesn't happen to me. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I did that. the same thing. <laughs> really. Good, Thank good. So yeah, much. that's good, man. And if, I mean, so we got a job to do, fellas. You, you guys are facilitators. And I tell people, you know, I used to be addicted to drugs and I used to be addicted to the fast life. And now I've changed my addiction. I'm addicted to life support alliance. I'm addicted to doing good for other people. And you guys, you guys are facilitators. That, doesn't that make you feel good? Absolutely. You, you, you Absolutely. You, you, let me, let me ask you, I mean, when you're, you're talking to a, a few fellas and you see in one of their faces, you see the light bulb come on. You're like, man, that's what I'm worth. That was what I was working for right there. That's it's right. an addiction and it let is. it be in it. It's fine. Let it be an addiction. It's all good. It's better. It's better to be addicted to that than to be addicted to the things that, because gang lifestyle is an addiction too. That's right. Absolutely right. So and most people, most people don't think about it. We talked last week about flawed thinking, you know, and one of the characteristics of a, of a gang member, you know, where anything negative you say about me, it becomes my reality. Anyone who opposes me, I look at you as my adversary. I got to get rid of you. I mean, gang lifestyle is very much addictive. Most definitely. And if you want to feel powerful, you go and inflict, you know, pressure, you know, fear upon your community. People don't know that gang members are domestic terrorists. And I'm saying this. Gang members are domestic terrorists. Your people around you are afraid of you. Yes. That's not, that's, that's not a reality that I want to live with. I, I tell people this and when I do my presentations. I tell people, you know, I was, uh, I, I shot and I killed a man. I went on the run for three days and then I was in court for, I was going to trial for murder. And the only one that was surprised I was in that courtroom was me. That's everybody right. Everybody else, everybody else seen it coming, man. Oh, that boy, he's nuts. He's off the, he's off the chain, you know? And I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. Everything's good. I got a handle on it. I got this under control. And that mindset of, hey, I got this. I got this under control. That's a mindset that still lives with me. And so I need you. You know, I need you to peep what my game. I need you to say, hey, hey, Dave, is that what are you doing right there? Are you slipping? And as soon as you say it, I can I can you know, I can recognize it, but I don't see it on my own. I'm 31 years clean and sober from drugs and alcohol. Congratulations. And, and, and I agree with that. That's that's amazing that you said that because uh, I had an incident. Um, I haven't talked to Elizabeth about it. <laughs> um, Brace yourself. And so um, I had an incident at, at my transitional house. And so I ended up getting kicked out. Um, It wasn't a good situation. Uh, ended up bad. Me and my roommate, um, it was bad. And so I called Daryl, and I didn't get to call Elizabeth yet. 
I was I was a little embarrassed. Not a little. I was embarrassed. Let's let's just keep it. You know, on this show we keep it one on. I was embarrassed. Um, it's amazing how you have to always stay tapped in to who you are and pay attention to what's going on. And so one of the things I learned out of this situation is, is to learn how to remember um, that just because I've changed, other people haven't changed. And to know that I need to reflect back into me and to look for that window that's open to remove myself from situations. And I didn't do it. And like I told Daryl, there, there was an opportunity for me to remove myself from the situation and I didn't remove myself from the situation. Um, I ended up engaging it and it could have cost me. It really could have. It could have cost me. But luckily I got a good parole agent. Her supervisor is backing me up. But I would just, it's amazing that you, you mentioned that. You definitely have to pay attention to what's going on. The bigger thing is, as David may mention, and we understand, the old you is always there. Always. And like I said, when we talk, Elizabeth, he's going to talk to you at length, and we don't have enough time on the show for him to talk to you about, about it. But I'm going to say this. Um, we always have to look for a way to walk away from a situation before it escalates. Because the old us, we took everything came our way. You know, we took, just like, just like David just said, I got this. I can handle this. I can deal with this. Right. That's yeah, because, yeah, because men men handle their own things, right? That's, right. And, and, and I could have went and talked to the house, man. I could have removed myself. <laughs> but I was making excuses saying, well, if I go talk to the house, man, then I'm snitching. Right? But like my parole agent and Daryl was saying, hey, bro, this is your life. Like, dude is bringing drugs into the room. You talked to him four times already. He's not hearing you. He doesn't care because he's living a different lifestyle than you. You should have went and told the houseman, hey, I need you to move me. Plus, move me to another room. Do whatever you got to do. If dude gets in trouble, that's on him. Plus, even that term, that term snitching, that idea of snitching, that comes out of your old lifestyle. Most definitely. You know, what we do today, pro-social behavior is pro social. Pro-social behavior is to inform the authorities of things that are not going right. And that's what I got from Daryl and, and, and Mike Baldwin. It was like, hey, bro, you should have went told. And from my parole agent and from my, uh, and her supervisor. But I, at the same time, they understood. But I expressed to them that there was a window for me to, to escape. Um, it got physical. Um, it was bad for his end. But I'm disappointed in myself. But at the same time, I've forgiven myself already. And I just said, you know what, Sean? This is an area for you to learn and grow in. You learned right? an important and lesson, so yeah. I'm okay with that because I know I'm not perfect. And I know that this free world is a whole nother monster from being incarcerated. One and of so, the things that comes up in conversation with newly paroled lifers, especially when they're looking for a job is, is, you know, the question of, do I tell them I've been in prison or don't I? And my answer is always be completely honest. Be, as honest. be as honest as you can. And what we've learned in, in order to get out of prison 
what we've learned is to take a, a, a negative and turn it into a positive. We had to do that in the boardroom. And so yes. um, I would I want to say that in in a in a a job interview, you take the negative and you turn it into a positive. Yes, I was uh, I committed murder, I was convicted, and I went to prison. And the positive that comes out of it is that I'm a better person. I know myself better than anybody else on your crew. That's right. And I understand. I understand myself better than anybody else you have on your crew. And I got, and because of that, I've got a lot more to offer. So and that's the I, same wait. thing I was telling the people at the transitional house, because they were scared to tell them that they had a felony, they was incarcerated for this. And I was like, first of all, there's a law that's passed that the, the uh, employer gets an initiative, you know, like $3,000, I think, on the tax break. They get other little things. And so I was just like, let them know. Be honest with them, because they're going to find out eventually. So let them know the truth. And like and you if, said, and just if they let them know that I'm their work own, If they find out on their own and they find out you've lied to them, then they're going to find the lie is going to get rid of you. But yes. Turning a negative into a positive. Now, I, I want to challenge you, Sean, to take the situation that you've just been through and see how you could have, see if there's a way you could have turned that negative into a positive. I'm already doing it. Okay. I'm already doing it. That's good, man. David, what is your insight then into that situation regarding Sean and being a new parole parolee in terms of, you know, because if that situation was bring that back to the cell before you're going to board of parole hearings, you would have moved, you would have told the officer, you would have taken all these steps but now the parolee mindset, as you were saying, that's always lingering. I think you said the mindset's always with us. What happened to it in those moments? Where does it go? Uh, and I think the, uh, the easiest answer to that is, is that, you know, we get this focus that we talked about right in the beginning that, you know, all I really have to do, I'm doing all of this just for this one goal to achieve parole. And then after that, I get to relax. And we don't realize that everything that we've done to build up to achieving parole has to remain a part of our life. Those are the things that have to remain. You know, I mean, there's, yes, there's, a, there's a half a dozen different positive ways that Sean could have related to his current situation. And, um, but I mean, they all would have ended up the same, but uh, I mean, I don't know who this other person was, but I mean, I care enough about them knowing that they paroled from prison. They're a fellow human being to say, hey, look, man, you got a problem. And, you know, and you're on a destructive path right now and you're about to wreck. And so, uh, you know, I can't have that in my life, but I'd like, you know, I'm not going to be in this situation and I'd like you not to be in it either. What can I do to help? You know, because I'm not letting it, I'm not going to let it ride. And, 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 and that was my thing, David, is that I had already had like four conversations with him before this um, for at least an hour. But like I said, there's no excuse. I'm not going to sit here on our podcast and make an excuse. Uh, there was a window that I could have removed myself from the situation. But as he started, and because as he was high, I understood that, okay, he's high. He's, he's high off crank. Um, he's acting ballistic. Don't go there. 
And so as he started walking towards me and then walking away and walking back towards me, um, yeah, my mind started clicking back into, you know, fight or flight. But like I told Daryl, there was an opportunity for me to just say, you know what, buddy? I talk to you when you when you're not, you know, when you're not high and leave. And I didn't do that and I stood there. And so that's what I was upset with myself about. Because it's like, okay, you're free. Like, are you really willing to jeopardize yourself? So was I on some prideful stuff? I didn't want to move. I had semen in my shoes. And I did. I did. I had semen in my shoes. And so I was upset. Like, like that semen has been gone. I, I used one of them little semen jackhammers, you know, to get them out of my boots to where I can walk away from situations. And so I didn't walk away from it. And, um, but like I said, I'm not going to beat myself up. It's a learning lesson. Uh, all praise to be to the most high that let me uh, be able to learn from it and not get into trouble, get sent back to prison. Because when you think about it, I could have went back to prison. And like I was explaining to him, like, you're a parolee from the federal prison, but I'm a lifer. So my parole conditions are different than yours. You violate parole, you go back. You get out six months, a year. I go, I violate parole. I go back. Life term is back on me. I have to start all over again. I go to parole every year to see if I can get out, right? And I've seen guys, as Daryl knows, that we had guys that was in there that came back as lifers, and they was going to parole every year for five years, three years straight. Laws change, and so on. I get it. And I know, and I know, and I'm going to tell everybody this, I'm going to tell the audience this, that that same situation might be a little different, but it's going to come back around to me for me to, to, to pass it. It's, go, it's not going to go away. It's just, it's just something how the creator works, right? And so I'm ready. And like you said, uh, two years, we start falling into this other area. I'm glad you mentioned that to me and Daryl and to our audience uh, and to Elizabeth, because now I'm going to be alert about that. I'm going to be mindful of that. Even not even waiting for two years. I'm going to be mindful every day. That's that good. Slipping into That's the good. Because okay. all it is is all it is is complacency. Yeah. You know, I mean, the pink, the pink cloud wears off. Uh, I tell guys three or four weeks out, I tell mm -hmm. them, you know what, man, your feet haven't even touched the ground yet. You know, and and uh, I know you guys can relate. You know, I, 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 I revel in those guys, you know, because I remember. I remember all too yeah. well, man, what a wonderful yeah. feeling it is. But at the same time, how overwhelming it is, you know. So uh, what else? What other questions you guys got about uh, about reentry? How about um, what about relationships? That's what I was going to ask you about. So how would how was your relationship like when you first got out? Did you get into a relationship? Did you wait? Um, so um, I met Vanessa, my wife. Um, I actually met her while I was inside. I don't tell nobody I said this, but I met her over an illegal cell phone. So. Okay. <laughs> well, everybody knows now. Yeah. So <laughs> um, it's not a secret. But uh, um, she was helping a friend of mine and and then I was, I tried to, I threw a whole bunch of more people in the bucket, but I wasn't one of them, you know, and she was impressed by me taking chances to help other people. And I was impressed by the fact that 
she continued to help when most people would have quit. Because, you know, helping somebody in prison, a lot of people want to raise their hand and say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to help. And then about, you know, they start getting into it and realize how much work it's going to be. And they're like, ah, yeah, well, I, I guess. Pay it away. She pushed all the way through. She's, she's, a, she's a wonderful woman. And we fell in love. We got married in the visiting room in Avenal. And, uh, and she continued to make waves. I had to quit visiting after I got found suitable because the, the officers in the visiting room decided they were going to get my day taken away. Oh, so yeah, how you, did it work when you got out? So I understand, like, we can hold a relationship in prison, right? We know how to do that. Yeah. But when you got out, how did she deal with you? And how did you deal with her? Because you mentioned about um, when they're talking to us, and I told you that I do the same thing. Well, my girl is, uh, I wanted to get straight to the point. Stop sending me around a circle, you know, just get straight to the point. And cause we're, we're straight forward. Yeah. So how did you deal with that? Um, I, I got to tell you that I'm still working on that. We, uh, I've been out nine years and our relationship is not all roses. You know, we've, uh, uh, we got to talk together a lot. And one of the things that I find really difficult is listening to her, you know, and, and I got to stop and I got to listen to her. And another thing that I got to realize is that she hasn't been through all of the things that I've been through. She hasn't been through all of the uh, self-examination. She's never needed to, you know, Most definitely. so, so she's still got, she's still got some of these uh, uh, things hanging on, you know, like, um, I don't want to talk bad about her. I'm just saying that we're, I mean, it's, it's, it's unusual to find somebody that's on an emotional level with us lifers who have been paroled. It's just not, it's unusual. It's, Most definitely. It's, I agree. Un, it's unnatural, you know? But can I just um, jump in, David? Because, you know, my husband and I, my husband hasn't been to prison and I haven't been to prison. Not like they, we couldn't have been to prison, but for jail. <laughs> But relationships are difficult for everybody and not so not to just make it about that as well, but also about humans are complicated. And my husband tells me to get to the point all the time, right? And I'm after him all the time. And I'm, you know, we're working on our stuff. And you talked about, David, uh, mindset. You're, you're, you're that same guy. You're still that same, for lack of a better word, I'm not being very politically correct. You're that same criminal and you have to be vigilant because that's your character defect that you're always working on. Well, by the way, me too, right? <laughs> and everybody else. So okay, I, I'll Liz. tell you, if you saw me at 12 years old, it's quite quite similar right and so we can all get on each other's nerves and patience tolerance is so important just as a human uh human uh consideration and, and I that i you know and i think that that's a big key right there you said patience and tolerance you know patience and tolerance with one another because Vanessa and i we we think a lot alike we both really want to push in life support alliance and we're doing everything we can to get into the prisons and to help guys. You, you know what it's like, man, when you see the light bulb go on, you know, and, yeah. and we live for that. And, you know, and we strive together for that. But we we see it coming about from two different angles, you know, and 
and I'm fighting for my angle to get stronger and she's fighting for her angle to get stronger and, and, and we cross paths sometimes. And, and, and it's tough. I gotta tell you that we've, you know, we've had to take it to counseling. We found a really great counselor that helped us to understand one another better. And nine out of 10 prison relationships don't make it on the outside. That's and the true. reason, and the reason I'm going to tell you what I believe the reason is. The reason I believe is because the relationship we have with each other in prison is really a make-believe relationship. It really is because you, you don't wake up together. You know, right. you don't, you're not going through life together. You're doing the visiting room together. Right. You know, and, and so what do you do in the visiting room? You go get your best shirt. You have a homie iron it for you, you know, and you, you put all your cologne on and you're all shaved up and your teeth are brushed and, you know, and, and you, you know, and you, you memorized a couple of jokes to tell while you're out there or whatever, and <laughs> you take your best you to the visiting room. And then your, your partner gets this image of you that they add to in their own mind. And you right. do the same with them. And so now right. all of a sudden, both of you are in love with this other individual who doesn't even exist because the person right. you think your partner is in the visiting room, that's it, it's really that's, not that person. Most, most of that's made up in your head, you know, from, from the pieces and parts that you put together, you make a soup out and, and, and you put all the seasoning in, you, you created a person and that's not the person you're paroling to. Most and the fun. person that's paroling to her is not the person that she had in prison because we don't know each other. Why? We really don't. And so um, I think the key to a good relationship with someone that you started with a relationship in prison is to step back and start, you know, from two, two paces behind where you think you're at and then, and then walk it forward from there. Because you got to get past the fantasy. I mean, a lot of times that fantasy from the visiting room is the very thing that destroys the relationship. And even coming out of prison, you meet one out of prison. Like I met mine, out of prison. I didn't know her while I was incarcerated. She's a wonderful woman, but I wasn't expecting, to be honest, a lot of the things that come with it. Um, she wants to talk about a lot of things. <laughs> um, she really woman. goes in depth about things. And I'm like, okay, let, no, no, no. And she like, baby, don't shut me down. You're not hearing me, right? And so she keeps saying that to me, but I feel that I'm hearing her but I keep hearing her say she's not hearing me. I have to check myself like, hey, hold on. If she's saying that, then I need to ask her, what do I need to do to hear you so you can feel that I'm hearing? And you know what? Let me let me speak to that just for a minute because um, we can think we understand what they're saying three or four words into the sentence, and maybe we do. <laughs> but talking, talking, <laughs> hey, talking is a romance for a woman. They yes. want, they, yes. it's, not, it's not that you understand what they're saying. It's that you're willing to sit there and hear their voice, you know, and, and, and to give them your attention. Okay. I'm not paying attention to the, uh, the Rams game right now. I'm On my phone. Attention, you know, to whatever it is, you know, you know, Daryl's calling. I'm not answering the phone because <laughs> this is no honey. This is your time. And What's even that? if you're telling me something that I taught you, you know, and I already know I'm going to let you speak. I don't do that very well. 
but that's basic male female communication styles as well not just necessarily a parolee with a in a relationship well it just makes it a little harder for us because of the lifestyle being in prison right and so when i used to just sit there listening it's hey get to the point what's happening all right let's do this and but right. it goes before that too because because you're trying to live your life on a different basis now because before prison she was if she was talking and you didn't want to hear it, you'd say shut up you right see what i'm saying and she either shut up or you know you could go find somebody else you right see what i'm saying but now you've yeah. made a commitment now you've made a commitment to a woman not because they're not disposable anymore you're on a different True. track and True. there's it's, there's a whole long learning curve to this whole thing. And that's why I'm thankful about mine. She's very patient with me. Uh, I'm patient with her. Uh, sometimes she Darryl's loses back. patience with Darryl's me. back in the car. Like and we love seeing you again today, Daryl. Thank you for the sacrifice to <laughs> the you. for the show. Thank you, thank you. Uh, they gave me a curfew and a deadline to be in Modesto. Um, because we're going to start this training and I know if I don't get there, I don't want to get violated by my parole agent and, and my family doesn't understand. So I got to make sure. So David, we're going to do this again. Okay. We do it every week, but I have to head back. If I don't, I'm going to get in trouble and I'm not getting in trouble for anybody. So, All right. And <laughs> hey, I'm going to try to get some information and see if we can't pump it up a little bit with, uh, Thank you with our resources. Yes, sir. Thank you for showing up on our show. Thank you for uh positive, and, and super good information that you have given us. Um, we look forward to having you back on here, man. All right, man. I, and if you want, I got suggestions of guys that you can uh, bring up. We would definitely take the suggestions. All right. All right. Thank Love you. Love you, man. Love you too, man. God bless Yo. you. All right, man. You guys have a good day. David, thank you so much. I know the guys probably have a hundred other things they want to talk to you about. So, but thank you so much for your time.